A blessed morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, on site and online. The Lord be with you. Are you ready to hear the message for this morning? Amen. So this morning, we continue with our sermon series on the theology of work. My sermon is the fifth one. It is entitled, Witness at Work. If you miss any of the sermons in this series, uh, please visit our Wesley website or YouTube channel to catch up. My sermon text is taken from a passage that is familiar to many of us. Matthew 5, 13 to 16 is part of a collection of Jesus' teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and tramped under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give it light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, to your Father who is in heaven. You must have heard or read the passage many times. In fact, it is so familiar that when I ask a good friend of mine to cover me in prayer, he exclaimed, Ayah, it's such a simple passage. No problem for you, right? His comment struck me that it would be presumptuous if any one of us were to think we have been there, done that, for often heard Bible passages such as this. And so friends, will we still be as alert and keen to listen to it than to one less known? Let us pray. Oh God, open our hearts to listen intently and grant us humble hearts to anticipate a fresh revelation of this familiar passage. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in His sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. To get us on the same page in our theological understanding of work, I will begin with three spiritual truths derived from previous sermons in this series. Firstly, God Himself is a worker. He created the universe and everything on earth in six days, the sea and the sky, the flora and fauna, and of course, human beings. On the seventh, he rested from his work and expects us to do likewise for ours. Secondly, God calls all of us to join him in cultivating what he had created through the different types of work in the different seasons of our lives. Yes, God calls all of us don't miss that, huh? to join him in his work. Everyone knows that the work of professionals like doctors, lawyers, and engineers is well-defined. Blue-collar workers who work in clerical, sales, and support services such as grab drivers, wait staff, palm attendants, and cleaners are seen as a vital part of Singapore workforce. However, in God's economy, there is a less visible group of people who partner him in his work in the world too. 
These are the people who do not work. Yeah, inverted comma, work. Such as students, caregivers, homemakers, and retirees. Surprised? Yes. Non-working people and retirees have their own work. Therefore, whether you are young, not so young, or very old, there is work to be done, and God has a special work for each one of us for what He has called us to do until He takes us home. Thirdly, our work in the world, which is a gift from God and part of His perfect design for our life, has been cursed through human sin. There is now sweat, toil, drudgery, futility, meaninglessness and injustice in our everyday work life. The sinful effect on human thinking and attitudes even renders some work dehumanizing, creates structural unemployment, and demands a workaholic lifestyle. However, for Christ's disciples, we have an element that others do not have. We have a hope for ourselves and our work in this fallen world. If you are with me, can I hear an amen? And so through our redemption in Christ and a deep reliance on God, we too can find purpose, resilience, resilience and fulfillment in our work. Moreover, our work can be a part of redemptive work of Jesus when our faith portrays the distinct attributes and behaviours which set us apart for God, giving us opportunities to witness for Jesus. In Matthew 5:13 to 16, Jesus provides practical instructions for his disciples through the metaphors of salt and light to wisely and successfully navigate the turbulent waters of our dog-eat-dog world. This is with the mission that when the world meets Christ's disciples at work, people will be drawn to God through the positive influence and good works exhibited by them. Verse 16 suggests our witness at work may not necessarily be directly talking about Jesus, quoting Bible verses like crazy, or speaking about Christian teachings. Friends, the reality is this. People are more likely to be drawn to our faith through the godly lifestyle we lead and not by our Christian jargons. Frequently, when people learn we are Christians, they use this standard phrase, all religions are the same. They teach us to do good. But when we persist in doing good works with no strings attached or hidden agenda, they will be more open to what we have to say about our faith and Jesus. You know, we have heard this phrase, actions speak louder than words, right? Okay, see some head nodding. An acronym for this is N-A-T-O, NATO. What does NATO stand for? No action, talk on your. And so please, friends, do not be NATO, but persist in doing good sincerely and warmly and pray for people in every circumstance so that they may see Jesus through our words and deeds. And if you agree with me, amen? Amen. In verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Here, the Lord is not talking about people in general, but his disciples. 
Who are the disciples in Wesley Methodist Church? Yeah, turn to your neighbor and emphasize. You are the salt of the earth. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? In the ancient world, salt was a valuable commodity. The Greeks thought it contained something almost divine, and the Romans sometimes paid their soldiers with salt. And the soldier who did not carry out his duty was not worth his salt. For the Hebrew society, salt was used in many ways, such as seasoning, preserving, disinfecting, and a crucial component of all ceremonial offerings to God. Historically, in Jesus' time, King Herod held a monopoly on the salt from the Dead Sea. This is an inland salt lake between Jordan and Israel. Its salinity is 10 times saltier than normal seawater. The Dead Sea produced most of the salt needed by the priests for temple rituals and offerings. In our modern day, salt is also useful in many ways. It enhances the flavor and texture of food and preserves it. Salt is also used as an irritant, a weed killer, stain remover, healing agent, and in cosmetic and health products. Do you know? A common home remedy for mouth ulcers is to rub a little table salt on them. How many of you have tried that? Painful, right? A painful self-help cure which is quite effective. Jesus makes it clear that as salt is useful to people and society, in many ways, so must his disciples be a blessing to those around them at work. Can I have the slide, please? Therefore, whether you are a retiree or a homemaker, a student or social worker, a pastor or professional in the marketplace, the questions for our constant reflection would be, how can my discipleship as sort of earth, sort of the earth make me a blessing to people around me? Am I like sort that brings healing between family members or people who are in hurting relationships? What opportunities are there to model Christ-likeness by serving the individuals, especially those who have yet to know Jesus? Meet P.D., our friendly neighborhood policeman. The look on our faces speaks of our pleasant encounter with this young national serviceman. We asked P.D. why he was not in his usual blue police uniform. He politely explained that the residents, especially seniors like us, are more open to talking to police in casual attire. My wife and I met this group of young policemen when we went to the food center for lunch. The team from neighborhood police post was there to run anti-scam chit-chats for residents. And this fresh-faced officer struck us as kind, gentle, and honest. He came over to our table without hesitation when my wife waved to him. And then he insisted on buying us coffee. Why? Because the session was called Coffee with a Cop. <laughs> Not cup, huh? And after taking our orders, our coffee came. One kopi siu tai and one kopi opo kosong. This guy not bad. He got both right. You win the lead off. 
And then PD sat next to us and took his time to share the various types of scams. He also patiently and thoroughly answered every one of our questions and helped my dear wife install scam shield on her new handphone. Anyone who has have installed your scam shield? Better do, ah. Huh? Mm. And after he was done with his official duty, we asked PD for his age and he obliged us with some information about his plans after he finishes NS. We are blessed by PD that day, not only by his work competency, but also by how he made us genius, feel respected and heard. Although he did not share his faith with us, his Christian name reminded me of his namesake, a God-fearing man in the Bible. And indeed, our brief encounter was a blessed time which greatly enhanced the flavor of my day off. In verse 13, Jesus has a stern warning for all of us. He says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and tramped under people's feet. Scientists and chemists will tell us that pure salt cannot lose its saltiness. However, what was used as salt in Jesus' times, especially the Dead Seas, contained many impurities. And if the salt crystals were extracted, what remained might look like salt, but would not perform the life-giving function of salt. Thus, a disciple of Jesus who has lost his saltiness will have the external appearance of a disciple. He can even quote Bible verses, but not the character of one. The question is, are we like salty salt at work? On a separate occasion, in Mark 9.50, Jesus said to his disciples, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The story behind this verse begins from Mark 9.33, after Peter, James and John witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. On the way back to Capernaum, the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest. Perhaps those who witnessed the transfiguration thought they had ascended into a higher plane and therefore deserved more honor and recognition. Jesus brought them down to earth by teaching them that those who wanted to be great must first be willing to be a servant to all. And in a mission to bear witness for him, they were to put others before themselves, rather than sought to be the center of attention. He also warned them of terrible consequences for those who sinned in their quest for selfish recognition and vain glory if they cause others, especially the weak and vulnerable, to sin. If your eyes cause you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Jesus is not telling us to take his words literally, but to take swift and drastic actions to deal with our sin. 
And the story ended with Jesus telling his disciples to have salt in themselves and be at peace with one another or risk losing their saltiness. Timothy Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, talks about the power of true passion that would lead a person to excel in whatever he does. However, Keller alludes to a certain kind of passion that produces a lot of energy, but from a Christian perspective, it's a counterfeit and not sustainable. He likens it to the extreme brightness of a dying light bulb just before it burns up. And then Keller cited the work of another author, Dorothy Sayer, who helps us understand this counterfeit passion through the Latin word, acidia. How many of us know this word, acidia? Wait, one. I didn't know about it until I prepared this sermon. <laughs> Listed as one of the seven deadly sins, the Latin word acidia is often translated as sloth or laziness. However, Sayer explained that a person is characterized by acidia when his driving passion is about looking out for himself and his sole concern is what's in it for me. The harsh reality is too many people, including you and I, in our fallen world, if we are not careful, operate this way by default. And so, brothers and sisters, be on guard against such self-centeredness. The sin of acidia leads us down the slippery slope of losing our effectiveness as salt of the earth. Beware of becoming saltless, which is salt without Saltiness. In verse 14 to 15, verses 14 to 15, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives lights to all in the house. You know, the world we live in today is very dark place, in case you don't know. Many are living under the oppressions of fear, alcohol, gambling, abuse, and domestic violence. Yet, many think there is nothing wrong with fornication, hatred, online pornography, or adultery. Crimes committed along these themes are in the media every day. It is symptomatic of the times we are in. The Bible warns us, it's not going to be better. It's going to get Worse. As disciples of Jesus, we are not only the salt of the earth, but also the light of the world. What is the difference between salt and light? Salt is hidden, light is obvious. Salt works from within, light from without. Salt is negative, it retards decay, but sorry, it cannot change it. Light Hallelujah, it's positive. It not only reveals what is wrong and false, but helps produce what is righteous and true. In John 8, 12, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Friends, Jesus is the true light who shines on us every day. His disciples, as light of the world, must reflect His light. The moon is like any other rock spinning in space, but as it is positioned in the right place and time to reflect the sun, it is transformed into a useful source of light at night. Isn't it true? So when the sunlight, sun spelled as S-O-N, when the sunlight of Jesus shines on us, remarkable things happen. People's hearts are open and they fall in love with Jesus. Broken marriages are restored. Spiteful people become kind and nurturing. A life of destruction is transformed to a life of purpose. And a toxic environment is neutralized. As the light of Christ reflects on us, we light up the world. As the Spirit of Christ indwells and illumines us, we are transformed into His likeness. And as Christ is the light of the world, His disciples will also become lights. Turn to your neighbor and say, You are the light. How do the disciples of Jesus shine as light at work? Let me share five ways we can do this. Jesus' disciples expose darkness. While Christ was on earth, he exposed the false teachings of the Pharisees and scribes. He exposed the corruption taking place in the temple. And so in the same way, we must shine light on dishonest practices, gossips, corruption, racism, and the list goes on and anything that is against the pleasure of God. We expose darkness indirectly by living a moral life. But do you know that we can expose it in, expose it directly, but wisely and at the appropriate time? Before God called me into this ministry, I worked in procurement for almost 20 years. And one of my responsibilities as a purchaser or buyer was to support the sales department to source for suppliers. In one proposal I work on, a member of the sales team, X, kept pressurizing me to review a particular code and to award the business to that supplier. Wary as to why he was so insistent, I did a thorough search, including going to ROC, Registry of Company. But somebody after the service said, hey, Pastor is no longer ROC, he's called ACRA. <laughs> and so I went to check and lo and behold... The supplier was his wife's business. Oh, I can see the mouth open. Oh, <laughs> yes. X breached our company's purchasing policy as he gave undue influence without declaring a conflict of interest. I reported him to my superior, and when we informed his superior, X resigned and vanished. Are you prepared to expose darkness wherever you are? Two, Jesus' disciples' gifts of light. 
Ephesians 5.13 says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. In response to this verse, a Bible commentator writes, quote, When light touches something, it becomes light. It is lit up, and to some degree, the object gives off light itself. It is converted and changed. End quote. And so in the same way, the light of our life often changes our work environment. As sin is exposed and replaced by righteousness, it changes people's lives as they repent and give their lives to Jesus. Light by nature is more powerful than darkness. It transforms the environment. And so what would you sacrifice to transform your work environment? Three, Jesus' disciples help others grow. Plants, botanists amongst us, or plants enthusiasts, you know, will tell us that plants can grow in a dark cave if a little light is present. In addition, research tells us that broken bones heal faster when patients recuperate in a sunny environment. And this should be true of Christians in the dark world, isn't it? As they shine their lights, friends, families, and co-workers grow in its goodness. And so friends, are the people around you growing? Knowing Jesus a little bit more every day? Changing their language, attitudes? And actions. Four, disciples wake people from their slumber. When it is springtime, people tend to wake up earlier because of the gradual increase of sunlight in their bedrooms. It is also true if you turn on the lights while someone is sleeping. Usually the person will wake up quickly and maybe grumpily. In the same way, Friends, the ethical light of disciples who are on fire for Christ can energize those who are spiritually lethargic or sleeping. They stir up zeal in those who are spiritually lazy and awaken those who are spiritually dead. There's an epilogue to my earlier story of being a whistleblower. Years later, I met X again when he responded to my company's call for quotations. He had become a supplier himself. Although I recognized him, I allowed him to participate. Did he get the business? Sorry. That's a story for another day. And so what will you do? Is showing mercy, making peace, or working for justice jeopardize your position at work? Last but not least, Jesus' disciples warm those who are cold. Light, is, light not only illuminates, but it also warms. When people are cold from standing in the shadow, they move to a place with sunlight to get warm. Heat is emitted from light. Therefore, when disciples of Jesus exhibit Christ's light, I exhibit the sun light, S-O-N-L-I-H-T. They warm up homes, workplaces, and communities. 
And often people turn to them to find fellowship, comfort, and encouragement. Are you still with me? You are rather quiet. If you are with me, can you can you wait, please? Yeah, thank you very much. Huh? Okay. <laughs> thank you for your encouragement. Now, two weeks ago, my wife and I hosted nine South Korean visitors for a few days. How do we know so many Koreans, you wonder? This story began in 2017 when my wife and I were in Malta, Europe, for me to pursue my master's in gerontology and geriatrics. When we went to a Maltese festival one day, we heard Korean. Annyeonghaseyo, being spoken on the street. Kamsahamida. And then turning around, we saw two Korean women. Being K-drama fans, I must confess, it all started in Malta. We started talking about the dramas. We invited the duo to the church we were attending. And you know what? They came. When we returned to Singapore in 2019, one of them, Jane, came to visit us. She told us a very intriguing story of a great kindness she encountered in Singapore 25 years before. Jane was in her early 20s when she first came to Singapore to study Chinese and English for six months. And within a week, she experienced a bad incident with her landlord and had to vacate the premises immediately. And when she related the story in a language class, her classmate Mary offered her a place to stay for the rest of the time. And here it ran free there. It's rent-free. And then Mary and her husband also helped Jane to deal with the landlord and retrieve her belongings. And by the time Jane met us in Malta, she had lost touch with Mary. We urged her to, to try calling the old number. And to our surprise, Jane was joyfully reunited with Mary. And when Jane told us Mary was a Christian, naturally we asked her to find out her church name Yes, which one? Anyone? Any brave soul? Surely Wesley Methodist Church. (laughs) Yes, it's Wesley Methodist Church. (laughs) From her actions, the light of Mary's Christ-likeness shone on Jane and warmed her when she was in dire straits. And then Jane became transformed became transformed by that love and reflected that gratitude to us when we visited her in Seoul last year when travel restrictions eased. We stayed with her, wow, quite long, I don't tell you, and received her hospitality and sincere friendship. And of course, this time round, when Jane's entire extended family came to visit, we reciprocated her hospitality. They had a great time, especially when we brought them to eat Singapore famous chili crab. How many of you have not tried it? If you have not tried, uh, friend, I'm looking at you. If you have not tried, go and try, okay? <laughs> Alright, now, on top of that, uh, not only chili crab, uh, salted egg crab, uh, black pepper crab, throw in the bun some more, fried one. And then, of course, we wanted them to have the full Singapore experience. 
Would you proactively equip yourself to engage and encourage people for Jesus? Wesley Witness and Evangelism Ministry has a course specially designed for us. It is entitled Conversational Evangelism, How to Listen and Speak so that you may be heard. This course will equip you in two areas. One, how to ask questions, listen attentively and understand what the other person believes in. And two, ways to identify the real barriers to belief and to build a bridge to truth. For more information, you may email wefriends at westymc.org or reach out to our dear brother, Patrick Chua, PDM for Witness and Evangelism Ministry. Let me end by sharing with you the life of a dear brother in Christ and friend, Lester Chan Hock Bing, whom I had the privilege to journey with in the last 10 months of his life on earth. Through the journey, especially in the final week before he succumbed to his illness, I experienced the light of Christ through the things Lester did, especially for his family and especially for his two adult daughters whom he adored. Lester accepted Christ after attending our 5 p.m. service with his wife on 2nd April last year. Shortly after that, with his wife, he followed up with Alpha, joined a small group, completed the baptism and membership class, was baptized on 16 November and subsequently received into membership. Sadly, he returned to God two weeks ago. My beloved brother's relentless pursuit of Jesus in the last months of his life, both in spirit and in action, was a shining example for my own discipleship journey. His Alpha and SG leader shared that despite his poor health, Lester did not miss a single Alpha session, and was regular in attending the SG's fortnightly meetings. And when Lester was feeling better, he and his wife even organized a walk at the Botanic Gardens for the SG. During the pastoral interview before his baptism, Lester shared his desire to be healed by God. However, he also told me he had fully surrendered to God and, as, and was at peace, even if God decided to bring him to his eternal home. A week before Lester's departed, even though he was feeling very, very sick, he experienced the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding. With full assurance of where he was going after death, Lester frankly discussed his wake and funeral arrangements with his family. He also requested to be admitted to the hospice so that his wife and children could rest at home. And after he was admitted to the hospice, when his older siblings of a different faith visited, he respectfully informed them he was following Jesus and expressed his wish to have a Christian funeral. And all of us know how difficult it is, right? For the family, especially if your uh, other siblings are not uh, uh, Christians. Yeah, and Lester knew it. Lester knew it. And he made sure 
he communicated it to his siblings so that his family will not have an issue with going forward with the, funeral, with the Christian funeral rites. As I reflected upon his various decisions, I realized Lester was a thoughtful man who put the interests of others, especially his family, before his. It was no coincidence that the columbarium where his ashes are interred is near his two daughters, one near her home and the other her workplace. And then during the interment service, I found out that the sister closest to him, also lives within walking distance to the columbarium. Lester continued to witness and work for God through his words and actions till he breathed his last. God's work for him is finished. He now rests in the eternal presence of God. For all of us who are here, we still have work to do. So until God's work is done in us and through us, let us remain steadfast and persevering. In both good times and bad, we must witness for Christ so that all who see our good deeds may be drawn to Jesus and accept Him as Saviour and Lord. Let us pray. Perfect light of revelation, as you shone in the life of Jesus, so shine in us and through us, in our various spheres of work and vocation, that we may become beacons of truth and compassion, illuminating all creation with deeds of justice and mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.